I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. Joining me in the studio today are representatives from the Winterthur UD Art Conservation Program, Dr. Joyce Hill-Stoner, who is a Winterthur UD professor in art conservation, and a second-year fellow in the program, Amanda Kasman. Welcome, Joyce and Amanda. So glad to have you here today. Thank you so much. Uh, Joyce, let's start with you for our listeners. I mean, the the Winterthur UD Art Conservation Program is nationally and internationally renowned, both in terms of what it accomplishes and representing the partnership between the University of Delaware and Winterthur. Uh, Give us a little bit of background about that program. Well, yes, indeed. We're one of the few internationally jointly sponsored between a museum and a university. And we might have been the first because the Rome Center sent representatives to see how we worked. And then later one was established between UCLA and the Getty, and they also came to see how we how we <laughs> did this, how we arranged this marriage. And we've been going since 1974, and we take 10 students a year, and it's highly competitive. We get maybe 300 applications, and only 80 have what we want, which means a triple major in studio art, art history, and chemistry. And they have to have a lot of experience. So they're usually older and might have been a nurse, might have been a social worker, might have been a cancer researcher. And then they go back to school to get those missing courses. So we get some very fabulous and interesting students. And they've gone off to do things all over the world. We've got people at the Rijksmuseum. We've got people uh, running things in uh, California. So we're very proud of the program. And they're only... Three, if you're going to study fine art conservation, there are only three in the U.S. So we have people come from Japan and all over the U.S. and other cities in Europe and so forth. So if my math is right, if you take 10 a year and it's a three-year program, you're working with 30 students at a time. Is that right? Yes, we have 20 on site. But then the third year is an internship. And so right now our interns, I'm a painting conservator and I focus on painting so I can absolutely immediately answer where they are. Mm-hmm. The others in paper, works of art on paper, books, objects, and so forth are also spread around the world. But our students in paintings right now, one is the third year, one is at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, one's at the Rijksmuseum, and one's at the Moritz House in The Hague. Now, in this history of this program, going back to 1974, um, I know each year the the third year fellows present uh, the work that they've been doing that year that they've been away. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you were able to come to one of our (laughs) presentations. But a very important part of art conservation is outreach. So we try to get a lot of people to come to these final oral presentations because If we can get to people and say, please don't treat this yourself, we've saved more art than we can possibly treat in our careers and lifetimes. So we like speaking to the public. It's part of preventive conservation. Like good dentists, we want you to be healthy with your art. And uh, it doesn't put us out of work because there are plenty of fires and floods and whatnot that will always bring us work. And do I do I remember the adage, right, never do something in art conservation that you can't reverse? Very good, yes. I thought I remembered that. <laughs> uh, everything we do, it's in our code of ethics and the American Institute for Conservation. 
must be reversible and must be documented. So anytime somebody does a treatment for you, they better give you a complete report and tell everything they used so the next person will know how to reverse it. And the people who kind of through uh, frame shops or a, a favorite cousin who once studied art treats your work of art, they might use oil paint, which cannot come off and will cause a lot more expense later for treatment. So best not to do it yourself and make sure you have a trained conservator who does, just as you say, uh, use materials that can be removed with no harm to the original art. Now, I, I know your background is, is in the, the painting, the, the, but could you speak t- uh, to the the range of the types of projects that your fellows have uh, encountered over the years? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we do in paintings, miniature paintings, all the way to outdoor murals that are huge. We have a new program, uh, well, a little bit new, in book conservation because there was a program at Columbia and then Texas in book conservation, and it folded. So the Mellon has given money to NYU, Buffalo, and Winter UD to take two book conservators a year, and they work on wonderful manuscripts, and uh, they were just dealing with the pre-Raphaelite stunner model's hair Mm -hmm. and putting that in archival shape and shipping it to London. And uh, we have people in objects who might do outdoor sculpture. We have a great photo of one of our students on the forehead of Iwo Jima Mm -hmm. in Washington. Mm -hmm. So we've got outdoor sculpture. We've got modern sculpture. We've got all kinds of – we have a a once-a-month free-of-charge clinic that people can bring in their works. And we've had Peruvian brain surgery tools Mm -hmm. come into Mm -hmm. clinic We've had an unknown Benjamin West, the lovely lady who owned it, had no idea who Benjamin West was. And so the clinic is quite an adventure, and we have all of our different specialists lined up and ready to see works of art of all materials. could be samplers, could be furniture, could be all sorts of things. And as I recall from a couple of the presentations I saw, I, I, I recall a a carved door in some Middle Eastern uh, building that was being restored. Does that does that sound right? Uh, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. Uh, unusual. Mm-hmm. We haven't had more than one of those. Mm-hmm. But Wintertour, of course, is 1640 to 1860. Right. American art and objects and decorative arts. Uh, but our program can be Fayum portraits and Egyptian faience all the way up to something painted two weeks ago. Uh, that the artist got flooded during Superstorm Sandy or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a wide variety and keeps us all on our toes. You can never sit back and relax because you never know what's going to come in the door next. Mm-hmm. And your graduates end up going all over the, the world. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And we have uh, Deborah Hess Norris, our chair, keeps a map with little pins in it. Mm. And it, we go all the way. We've got people in New Zealand. We've got people really everywhere, China and uh, Japan and all over Europe. Mm-hmm. Well, take, taking that global picture, let's, let's bring it back home and let's talk to our second-year fellow, uh, Amanda Kasman. Amanda, you've been working on a project, and I believe next year then you'll be out at some venue somewhere. Uh, talk a little bit about your background in, in the arts and or sciences, as Joyce was alluding to. You know, what kind of academic background do you bring to the program, and, and what attracted you to the Winter Tour UD? 
art conservation program. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I, I guess I should start back in high school. I attended the Charleston County School of the Arts in South Carolina, and I was really on track to become a fine artist. We had painting classes every single day, and I loved it, but I realized I needed science and history and math to really ground me and stimulate my brain. And I found while traveling abroad with my parents in Europe that there's this career called art conservation that ties them all together. You use science to study the artwork, you understand the history, and you use chemistry to preserve it. So I discovered around age 16 that the University of Delaware has a graduate program in conservation. So I tried my very hardest to get into their undergraduate program, and it's come along from there. Mm-hmm. So, so your initial interest was in the, the visual arts, correct? Yes. I always knew I was going to be a painting conservator. Did, did you find integrating the science, the, the chemistry into that uh, a particular challenge? or did uh, I'm, I'm curious about that because – as, as I said to Joyce after the first presentations I went to, I I never imagined at the end of that day that I would have sat through a number of presentations that were as um, heavy on science as they were on the art, which which I found really exciting, that, that integration of, of the different areas. Uh, how did you find that in bringing the science into the art? Perhaps I have a more unusual background, but my parents are a mathematician and a scientist, so I get to go home and discuss with them the analytical techniques that I'm using on paintings. I discuss FTIR and XRF with them, and they know exactly what I'm talking about. So Mm -hmm. I I guess I had a scientific background at home, and it it felt natural to combine that with the art that I've always loved. So you did your undergraduate work at UD as well? Correct. And what was your your, uh, bachelor's degree in? Art conservation. Art conservation. Okay, and now you're a second-year fellow... Uh, in the in the program, uh, let's uh, let's turn to uh, what your concentration is as uh, a fellow in the the uh, Winter UD program. I'm in the painting conservation program, and I'm very lucky that I get to continue research on one of my undergraduate projects. My senior thesis at the University of Delaware was on African American art and a depiction of slavery. Hmm, interesting. So, w- what kind of research does that entail, and and from the perspective of art conservation, how does that? How do you work that into that? Uh, it it involved my historical background research of what the dioramas that I was working on came from, and uh, analytical research into what the materiality of the dioramas were made of, and the imagery that appeared in them. And what is what was the source of the dioramas? Where did where did you find those? Yes, of course. We should we should definitely go back to the beginning and jump in. <clears throat> Got a little bit ahead of myself. That's okay. So the there were thirty three dioramas made for the African American Negro Exposition of Chicago in nineteen forty. It was an attempt by the African American community to create an African American World's Fair, the first one that would have been in line with World Fair Mania that was gripping the globe around eighteen fifty. And the dioramas were to showcase or correct, they were to correct misconceptions about African American contributions to world culture. So they depicted the construction of the Sphinx, smelting of iron, and contributions of African American soldiers to World War II. And when they were displayed at the center of the Coliseum in Chicago, the goal was to convince both African American viewers and white natives of Chicago that there should be racial equality in the city. Now, that's interesting. As as a former history teacher, I'm trying to put this into the context of American history. 1940, uh, World War II has started. The U.S. has not yet entered World War II. Uh, but it's also the tail end of uh, the Depression 
decade of the 30s. So were these dioramas part of any kind of New Deal project or were these you know separate from that? Because I know there was a lot of public art created in the 1930s as part of the New Deal program. Absolutely. We know that there were over 70 African-American artists who were employed during the lead up to the to the exposition to build the dioramas, and they came from backgrounds where they had no artistic experience and others were professional artists, and they were using their varied skills and limited time and resources in the lead-up to a very big exposition, and they succeeded. They met the deadline. Well, I, I want to continue because, as, as I said, as a former history teacher, this is fascinating to me. Let me first remind our listeners, however, that you are tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. Our guests in the studio today are representatives from the Winter UD Art Conservation Program, Dr. Joyce Hill Stoner professor in the program, and a second-year fellow, Amanda Kasman. Uh, we're talking about the uh, conserving of, of African-American dioramas from the Afri American Negro Exposition in Chicago of 1940. Um, Amanda, these I, I'm curious, uh, without getting too political, uh, these dioramas, how, uh, how uh, challenging were they to the American understanding of the Negro experience at the time. I think the stories the dioramas were telling were really counter to what was being taught at the schools at the time, and it influenced the curricula. We know that there are there's evidence of stu uh, teachers going around the exposition in 1940 and realizing that they weren't teaching this history to their students, and they changed the way that African American history was taught in the classroom. And I hope that it really did bring about change positive change. Now, do, do those dioramas still exist, or are you having to look at photographic representations of those dioramas? It is my belief that dioramas were made to be ephemeral, that they were made just for the exposition, exposition, possibly just to last a year, and they were actually saved by the artist who designed them, Charles Dawson, and he had 20 of the 33 dioramas sent to his alma mater, Tuskegee University in Alabama, where they were displayed for several years and then put into storage. And this is the first time they're really seeing the light of day for a while. But uh, they were not meant to last this long. It's really incredible to see a window to the past like this. Now, what what was the size of these dioramas? How, how large were they? They're about five feet wide and three feet deep, so there is significant depth. Uh, they're also about three and a half feet tall, and they would fill a whole window, a proscenium arch, as they were around the exterior of a room in the center of the Chicago Coliseum. And the, the media used? The mediums? What, what's the proper plural when you're talking about? Media. The media. <laughs> what, what media were you using? Oil or? The foundation of the dioramas is wood, and the base is generally layers of plaster onto which figures made from either wood or plaster were stuck into the plaster with pins. So not very stable for the long term, but they thought it only needed to last for a year. Some of the plants are made with wire and fabric and uh, there was a scene with snow because one of them depicts the arrival of Matthew Henson and Admiral Perry at the North Pole, and we believe they used a mixture of plaster and baking powder in order to simulate the dusting of snow. Mm -hmm. So uh, is, since this is an art conservation project, is uh, what what is the nature of the art conservation? Is it actually conserving the pieces themselves or what they represent in terms of telling the story? Or is it a combination of both? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a combination of both. Uh, from the conservation 
side. It's It was also an interesting project as an undergraduate that it spanned beyond just one discipline within conservation. So it wasn't just painting conservation because it was a painted diorama. I also had to seek the help of the objects conservators across the hall from me, from the textile conservators to consult on the, the threads that were in the diorama. And in terms of the image, what we're trying to preserve, I think that we're trying to convey exactly what the artists in 1940 had made, even if they had perhaps not as much information as we do now about a historical event that occurred in 1619 or what Admiral Perry could have really seen when he arrived at the North Pole in 1909. We have more information about those events now, but we really want to show what they knew in 1940, what, it, what the truth was to them. I was going to say, what, what kind of uh, conversations have been had with historians about the historical accuracy of what's depicted in these dioramas? Oh, tell about the stones in, in the uh, <laughs> floor of the revival of the slaves in Virginia. So the diorama that I conserved as part of my undergraduate senior thesis depicted the arrival of slaves in 1619 to Jamestown, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And although there is controversy as well as to whether or not it was Jamestown or Point Comfort, we had an archaeologist come in to consult on the accuracy, the historical accuracy of the scene, and he had commented there couldn't be stones because it was so there there are no stones in Jamestown, Virginia. But being from Charleston, South Carolina, I had another story. So the the roads, the old roads in Charleston are paved with mm -hmm. large stones, but mm -hmm. it's a it's a sandy, swampy port city. There are no stones native to Charleston. But of course they came over as ballast on mm -hmm. the ships in the mm -hmm. colonial era. They had to weigh down the ships when they came across the Atlantic so you could empty them and there was room for all the crops. Right. Interesting. So so that is depicted in some of these dioramas. I w yes, I would argue that the heaps of stones that are in the diorama could be historically accurate in that there would have been ballast brought over even though there were no rocks that you could find on the beaches in, in Point Comfort, Virginia. Interesting. So it, have you actually physically seen some of these dioramas? And what will you be doing next year in your year away, your third year of the fellowship program? Oh, wow. So uh, I treated the 1619 diorama. It was in the painting conservation studio for a year when I was a senior, an undergraduate senior at the University of Delaware. And I've since had the opportunity to see three more that are being treated uh, in the painting conservation studio. But this summer, actually, on the way back from Dallas, Texas, I was able to visit the Legacy Museum, where they were, which they belong to, where the dioramas are from. And they have several more that are still waiting to be treated in the basement. They're rather pushed against the wall, which is unfortunate to see, but I'm so excited. They're going to be slowly but surely treated and put on display in their exhibition. Really fascinating work. Uh, I, I'm curious, and Joyce, maybe this is a question for you. Uh, for the work that Amanda is doing and, and all the graduate uh, or the fellows do in this program, uh, how, who, who gets to learn about that work? that your fellows are doing, and how do they find out about this? Well, we're on the radio, which is wonderful, <laughs> telling about it. Uh, and we're broadcasting this project as much as possible because of the art conservation community, only 2% are African Americans. So we have a project going. We hope to be in our fourth year this coming June of bringing in African American undergraduates from historically black colleges and universities to help us work on the dioramas. And they've each taken special research projects in addition to working on the actual structural treatment of the dioramas. Taryn Nurse, who was in the group uh, for the 1619 arrival of the enslaved people, did research on the rigging of the ship. Mm 
that brought, and then uh, this is probably too long to tell, but Amanda did wonderful work on exactly, was it a Dutch ship, was it an English ship, and mm. it turns out there was a lot of politics about that, but Amanda had to re-rig the diorama and did all this work in consultation with the ship model person at the Rijksmuseum who does mm. the uh, conservation of all those huge ship models. But in any case, we've been doing this for three years and have an ongoing collaboration with the Alliance of Art Galleries of the Historically Black Colleges and Universities who have a competition, and then the winning students come and work with us at Winter Tour each June. And so with that going on, we have your question about people coming through. Winter Tour is doing a lot of public outreach, and we have two and three tour groups a week coming through. So any of us working on the diorama must turn around Mm -hmm. (laughs) and talk about it. And my favorite question is with our Boston Massacre diorama is I quiz the tour groups. Okay, who was the first person killed in the Boston Massacre? Crispus Attucks? Yo, good for you. (laughs) Um, So you're one in 20 uh, because uh, someone said, I know that because I'm a public historian. And you must be too. Well, you're a history teacher. That's right. There we are. Um, but in any case, it's been a great experience. We've learned so much. And right now we have World War I. Mm-hmm. And we have um, Needham Roberts and Henry Johnson, who were the first Amer- uh, Americans of, of any uh, background, uh, racially speaking, to win the Prix de Guerre from the French because mm-hmm. they were sent to Argonne-Merse uh, to fight. And so that's, that's a heartbreaking story. Mm-hmm. They, couldn't, they could only dig trenches in America but the French really gave them prizes, and they were jazz musicians, and they played in the park. And with that, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap up. But Joyce and Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today and really enlightening our listeners about how important all of the academic areas are in art conservation. I heard archaeology. I heard history. I heard chemistry. I heard nautical expertise. I mean, just amazing how this program, the Winter Tour UD, our conservation program weaves all of those academic areas together. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you.